Hello and welcome to another episode of Alchemy Radio, where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. This week, it's part two of Stuart Wilde's Fringe Dweller's Guide to Almost Everything, recorded live in Las Vegas in the US. It's the second of two parts in memory of Stuart, a great friend of Alchemy Radio. About those of us who are getting visions, yes. um, I got a, a one of seeing small geographic shapes on someone's face, and then I got another one of. Did you mean geometric visions. or geographic? Geometric, excuse yeah, me. Okay. Geometric. No, just testing, just testing. You know, make sure everybody's so, awake, right? My my question is, um, <laughs> there must be some purpose or meaning to them. I mean, you everything said means something. Everything means something, and all those geometries and the boxes and the codes and the Sanskrit and the numbers and the rainbows, and the birds, and the beings, and the dots, and the blobs, it all means something. None of it is random. However, what it means, we do not necessarily know all of the time. But because the reality, like Krebsik said, is made up of little boxes. When you see geometric boxes on people's nose, essentially the beings are showing you the digital fractal box version of reality. So this room is a mass of little boxes between where I am and you are. Except normally we can't see them, so we're looking through the boxes. What was your question? Uh, I guess I that was it. I guess so we just sort of flow with it. As those visions come, you just sort of notice it and say, okay, yeah. this is what it is. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a topography. There is a, a, a dictionary. There is a lexicon. There is a language in there which um, you know, I talk about sometimes, Krebsik talks about a lot on his site. So certain things mean certain things. But if you have a particular question, then, then just ask and I'll do my best to tell you, you know. And then most of the time you can work it out if you compare notes with other people and so forth, you know. Yes, yes, yes. What's your question? I want to know what your question is. Hi, it's nice Hi. to uh, be here and uh, meet you. Um, I was curious about the Tolmac. You'd said something in a book, one of the doorways or yes. places in Vancouver. BC? Yes, several. Could you several. talk a little bit about that? You yeah, there's some, and there's some on the Sunshine Coast. There's lots of places. Well, I call the Ptolemaic, the, the new Camelot's Ptolemaic, because I was told that there was an energy that was going backwards in time. So Camelot is Ptolemaic backwards, or Ptolemaic is Camelot backwards. And um, essentially, we call the Ptolemaic the arches, and these arches lead to another world. So if, say, there was an arch here in the center of the room and you walked towards the podium, as you got to, to the arch, you would dematerialize, okay? We see the arches usually with flowers and sometimes not, you know? The arches shimmer at 240 pulses a second, so it's very fast, you know? Like it's uh, four beats a second, boom, 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 like that, you know? And they're everywhere, they're everywhere. And humanity will walk through those arches with the children. 
and uh, literally, literally walk out of this earth plane and walk back in again through the arches. So that archway is there, and the glow of the Ptolemaic that I just wrote on my blog, stewardblog.com, maybe you read that, that is a real glow. I mean, we see it all the time, you know? And like, I have one that spins in my head, it's, all, it's going all day and all night, like an like a airport radar system, you know, just going round and round and round. So it's a symbol of this renewal. Essentially, the Ptolemaic is a symbol of the renewal. It's the symbol of the rebirth of our humanity. And uh, it's there to help us. It's full of love and it's full of beauty. And, uh, and the doorways are there in their hundreds. They're all over the world. The only thing I'm not allowed to do is say to you, ah, oh, go to like Hollywood and Vine and walk 55 yards past the liquor store and down the alley and there he is. I'm not allowed to do that. Absolutely forbidden for doing it. I'm not trying to be crass. If I, if I was allowed to do it, I'd give you the list, you know? Because I've got no interest in holding on to any information. But the reason why I'm not allowed to do it is that it's supposed to be a process inside of you, you know? Where you process yourself and then you see a vision and then you know. Do you follow me? But uh, there are hundreds more than I ever imagined, you know? Originally, I used to keep a list and I had a list of, let's say, 60, 60 of these arches. France, you know, da -da -da, Kashmir, West Indian Islands places in South America, Europe, United States, Canada. And then suddenly, just recently, they sort of started to increase exponentially. I mean, to where there's hundreds, even thousands, there could even be 10,000, you know? And often they're just a city street. They're just a city street on a corner, on a sidewalk. And the fractals and the digital geometries are going ballistic, you know? This very celestial, very beautiful. And they're going ping, 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 ping all over. And that's what's holding the door open from the demonic. But the arches couldn't appear until we beat the demonic, you know? We had to defeat the demonic first, you know? And we're still in the process of defeating the demonic, although the demonic is very, very degraded now. It's very, very, uh, like, it, it isn't really making any headway anymore. So we could talk about that a bit after the break or whatever. It's a pretty interesting subject. It's my sort of speciality then. One more, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, hi, Stuart. Hi. I was wondering also about the doorways. Do, do they all lead to the same place? Not necessarily, sir. No, no. Because for me to be able to, for me to, be able, to be able to say that they all lead in the same place would mean that I had to be down, let's say, 1,800 doorways to find out what's on the other side, you know? And I haven't. But they all lead to celestial worlds, yeah. The Ptolemaic doorways will take you to a celestial place, you know? Uh, also, is it possible to go back and forth uh, for those people that can actually see them? Yeah, and, yeah. I and mean, we are not 100% sure. I don't know if when you're out, you're out and you can't get back in. But if the children are going to walk out through those anomalies, then unless they can walk back in, there'll be no point of them walking back out. Do you follow me? Yeah. Like, if it isn't like a round trip. So, um, the other thing is this, is that they're like... Well, it's a bit difficult to explain. Maybe Krepsik knows more about it than I do, but um, they're like boxes. Hold on a second. So, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this from back there, but let's say this is a city, right? These are the high-rise buildings in a city, okay? And this is a city street, and like these are blocks of flats and apartment buildings. And, okay, the Ptolemaic boxes are like a cube in the city street. I don't know if you can see that, or maybe you come up in the break and have a look at it. Now, when you walk in through that arch, you haven't actually gone anywhere. In other words, if there was a piece of trash on the sidewalk where the arch appears, let's say, I don't know, Snickers bar, it's still there. What you've actually done is you've gone into a box that is in a different time. 
a different time. That's what it is. It's, it's essentially an anomaly in time. So all of this here is like September the 5th, 2009, and it's uh, 11.05. That's the, this is the dimension of the city buildings, let's say. But here you go into an anomaly, which is September the 5th, 2035, and suddenly all these buildings aren't there. Do you follow me? So you're actually walking into a box that is in another time, but you haven't really walked into another world, you're still on the planet Earth. So maybe the kiddies don't have to come back, just the box melts and they find themselves in, a, in another world, but 35 years ahead from now, do you see? So there may not be a need for them to walk in and walk out, but I've been in this box several times, and then the box wasn't there anymore, so I had no perception of coming out of the box, do you follow me? Like I was in it, and then I wasn't in it. Difficult to understand, or did you get it? Uh, more or less, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like as if, if I walk into this, let's say, quarter of the podium, so all here is like 11.05. This is the time zone we're all in, and this is the, the vector, let's say. Length, breadth, height, the room, and the time, 11.05. But if I walk into here, and suddenly this box here is 2,035, Okay, I would look out in this room and there'd be no people here. Unless you're thinking of staying 31 years, right? Like there wouldn't be any people here. Maybe there's a different function in 35 years time or maybe the building isn't here in 35 years time. But inside this box, I'm in a different time place. Do you see? Then when I'm in here, I never had an impression of coming back out of the box into this real world. It was just like suddenly the box wasn't there anymore. which will give you a certificate of redemption and survival, you know? You get a t-shirt, I survived drugs, you know? With the Redeemers Club. So anyway, that's what we're doing. But the Redeemers Club was, as far as I know, again, um, I don't mean this in a grand sense, but it was actually the most powerful teaching that's ever been delivered, you know? So, um, because it took so many people from nowhere to somewhere instantly, you know? And interesting, there was a lot of people that in the early days of the Redeemers Club really looked like they weren't going to make it, you know? Really, really dubious, you know? And they were getting, like, at the end of six months, they were getting, like, maybe, you know, as an appraisal. But then gradually they improved quickly, you know, and they went through the process that you're going through. And essentially that is a process through your own shadow, you know? And it's a beautiful journey. I mean, it's scary, I know that, you know? And sometimes, like, it disgusts you, and sometimes it's frustrating. And sometimes you wonder if it'll ever end, you know? You think, oh, my God, how much fucking longer, you know? <sighs> but you just endure. You keep enduring. You don't allow yourself to be bumped out, you know? That's what I used to teach people in the Redeemers Club, you know? Never let anything knock you off, you know, the path. Never, never. Just put your foot down there. It doesn't matter what comes through that door. Join hands, front foot forward, hold steady. And that worked for everybody, you know? Anyway, you've got an opportunity now to ask a few questions or whatever you want to talk about or talk about your impressions. I was one night, um, I kind of like found myself in front of my bed. I was sleeping. I could see myself sleeping. And all of a sudden, I, I find myself like attacked by small beings, really dark, like this big. And Could I you just see the head or was that the entire being? Uh, well, no, I could see kind of like the head and the skinny arms. Yeah. And then they were kind of like, I started hitting left and right. And they were overpowering me. So I just 
you kind of like came into my mind, I closed my eyes and sent love on everywhere around. And when I opened my eyes, they were not there. But in like a split second, I We've find been. myself in a hallway with... Um, in a what? In a hallway, like oh, okay. a big uh, hallway from uh, an old ancient castle. Yep. And there's this massive black uh, cloud on my way. I mean, I knew I was gone the moment that hit me. And at that moment, a person appeared. He was dressing like suit, like a businessman. And he just took me out immediately. <coughs> I was again back in my, back in my room. And I asked him, um, are, are you an angel? And he said, no. Are you what? An angel. All right. And he said, no. <coughs> I'm like, are you a demon? He said, no, I'm an agent. Yes, that was, that was, I don't know exactly. He told me he would answer any question, but I couldn't sustain the dream and fell unconscious. When these demonic beings appear and they offer to answer your questions, okay, you gotta F them off, you know, it's a bunch of cobblers, you know? And when they say we're gonna give you great powers, whatever they offer you, forget it, you know? Because the sacred beings don't come along and, and meet you in a hallway and say, can I answer your questions? Do you follow me? Yeah. Just doesn't work like that, you know? So it, that was a phony. It could have been a Mephisto, it could have been one of those inner beings that's like pretending, you know? So, um, no. Um, another thing, uh, what can we do like, uh, I, ha I have uh, thought this being like, never in the Aluna world, it's more like they attack me. I have fought them three, in three occasions. Um, so far I've been so successful. <laughs> so I was thinking what can I do so I can uh, help, uh, like become one of the warriors within the Aluna world. I don't know, the, the, the warriors are not chosen by us, they're chosen by the beings. That's us. But if you prove an ability to stand strong against anything, then more than likely you will wind up doing that, you know? But it, it's a matter of being able to be utterly fearless and to stand strong, you know? Yeah? Okay, perfect. So Thanks. Yes. So, step-by-step uh, -step, uh, by location. You mean like moving from one place to another? Yeah. yeah by being in two places at once? Yeah. We don't know how it works. We, there's no known, we do not know how to do it, but it does happen all the time. Good. Where you seem to be in two places instantaneously, you know? But how that exactly exists, I don't know, but it's something to do with this thing that I told you about, the box, where you're walking into a box that's actually in a different time era. Do you follow me? Mm -hmm. So like one of you is in 2009, in the MGM Grand and you walk down the hallway and you walk into a box that's in 2010. Or it could even be next Thursday, do you follow me? But it's in a different time era to our time era. And so that's how we believe it occurs, but we have not got a mastery of that as yet. But it's happening all the time, it is true. It's happening all the time, all the time. Where we seem to be in two places at once, you know, so I'll be sitting here and somebody says, I had coffee with you in Vancouver Saturday afternoon, you know, I say, well, I was in Las Vegas. They say, I know, but we had coffee at Starbucks and you ordered a cappuccino, yeah? It's weird, this happens all the time. Yeah, so, we don't know. We don't know how, it's, how, it, I don't, how, we don't know how it works, bro. Mm -hmm. Hands, yes. Uh, yes, and um, Grace Guy, you state to uh, stay away from doing yoga. And don't was, do yoga, man. I was wondering how detrimental that, you, I know you said if you must use Fucking that, kills you, man. Okay. All the people that do yoga get allergies and stuff and start dying, you know? Some of my best meditations have came when I was doing yoga. That's why I was wondering if... Doing yoga? Okay, then do yoga. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Um, three years ago, I had an experience where um, my face started heating up, and it's kind of like what you describe, except it's not my whole body. But um, of course, back then I went to the doctor, they couldn't figure it out. I asked if it was rosacea <laughs> or something. It was rosella? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it? No. No, um, it's, it's just the nothing. celestial heat. It's the celestial heat can be very, very local. You know, you suddenly your knee heats up, mm -hmm. you know, or a part of your hand or your thigh or your foot. We don't know why it's patchy like that, but it comes in patches. But then eventually your whole body heats up and you're just glowing all the time, you know? Okay, yeah, because yeah? like okay. right just now... Let it. Yeah, is it I, hot now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. You know, let it be hot. Wherever it wants to be hot, let it be hot. Okay. If it goes hot down there, then we charge your entertainment tax. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. I'm doing very well in Vegas, thank you. <laughs> um, I just also had a question about um, when you were when I was talking back there about the ghoul, you know, that had hit me. Um, I felt that again, and you know, it's like a sharp hit. On my neck. Um, you have to. You have to agree to get whacked about. Okay. There's no other. You just defend yourself as best you can, but you're gonna get hit. Okay. That's it. That's life. Any tips for defense in some way? Well, in specific instances, there's a defense. Like you know that gentleman there, Mr. Later, was saying, blowing love, love, love. You know, but. Um, if, you, if it's not a specific thing that we're talking about, I don't know what it is, I don't know what defense to offer you because you don't know, I don't know what circumstances you're referring to. If you're getting hit in the back of the neck, you're gonna to have to suffer it because you're not gonna be able to defend against it. Often the ghouls can hit you without you being able to defend yourself. Okay. Yeah? All right. Just have to suffer it. Yeah. Um, I, um had this experience where I was uh, pulled, I, most of my experiences have been very celestial and I was pulled down to layers of hell that I have uh, it, it was like at Armageddon and I witnessed it for hours and hours and hours and I was finally able to go to sleep and when I woke up I was awake but still laying there but I, I was awake and then a, a thing of it sounded like flies, like a, a big ball of flies came in and whoonk, went right into my solar plexus and I couldn't move and I was paralyzed and I couldn't speak and I finally was able, after I don't know how long, be able to just um, send love and, 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 really, and command it to leave, but it turned my world upside down and I just... The fact that this stuff hit you, it's you, you know the ball of flies is you, you know? Okay. That's your disgust okay. for humanity or it's your sexual shadow or it's... Okay whatever it is, you know, it's one of your isms, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you go into these hell worlds, if you prayed for restoration and they took you to the hell worlds, that is part of your restoration. Yeah. You see, you can't look at the hell worlds and think, that's not me, because it's part of you. You're going there to be restored. Mm -hmm. So essentially what they're doing is they're showing you your darkness and they're showing you your evil and they're saying, what would you like to do about it? Yeah, well, and it was interesting because the restoration I was praying for and, and singing for was for for Gaia, and yet it became, I guess, a very Well, I personal. suppose the answer was, like, if you want to restore Gaia, you better restore yourself yes. first, you see. I think that's yes. pretty, okay. pretty bog standard, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Thank you. I'd appreciate having some feedback from you, Stuart, about safety in the world. I'm looking for a new home, and I'm wondering where I could be most useful. You've got to follow your heart, you know, that's the best safety, you know? 
I don't like cities, you know, they're going to become very hellish. So, you know, small, warm, friendly, fuzzy communities in the country are going to be a lot safer. Because the minute the supply chains and stuff start to fall apart, then you can see the cities going to mayhem. If you were in a rural area, you'd be better off than living in San Francisco, LA, LA or one of the big cities, you know? Um, your best place is to be not in America at all. That's safer than, than you know, that would be safer still, you know? Next question. Yes. Um, could you please explain to me what the difference is between the Aluna world and the astral world? Well, some people refer to the astral world as the Aluna world. Certainly Darpan, the Australian shaman, you know, uses the two terms interchangeably. But I never really knew what the astral world was when they wrote about it in New Age books and stuff, you know, and astral travel, I didn't know what that was, you know. I didn't know if they meant like an out-of-body experience or an inner world journey and stuff. So we bagged all that astral stuff because it got too confusing, you know? It's just that I've experienced the astral travel, uh, but it's very different to what you're describing in the Aluna. Yeah, well, you have to tell me what astral travel is because I don't know. Yeah, it's... I mean, are you having an out-of-body experience? Because we yes. don't recommend that. In two different... Uh, yeah, it's two different dimensions, yeah. but you could feel the pull back into the body. This yeah. feels like the travel is very different, the process is very different. Well, all our traveling sideways, you know? We're yes. trying to... We're seeking to move sideways, you right. know? We don't recommend people come out of their body because it leaves them vulnerable to demonic possession, you know? Okay. So while you're out, something else is going to try to get in. Do you follow me? Okay. Yeah, so we don't, we don't agree with... Right. I'm not so, saying don't do out-of-body right. travel if that's what you like to do. I'm just saying it's fucking dangerous. That's all. That's know? why I wondered whether the astral... So it's like parachuting without a parachute. Right. So I would not recommend it because most everybody I know gets into serious trouble on, on the out-of-body stuff. Yeah. I hope that answers your question because I don't actually know what astral travel is, you know. I understand. Thank you. I, I mean, I've read about it in New Age books, but I never... I've never had an experience where I thought, oh yes, right now I'm now actually traveling. I don't know what that means, you know? Yeah. We go out sideways, or I close my eyes and I go into the Aluna watching it, but I don't know whether I've actually gone anywhere. I'm just in there as well as being out here. Do you follow me? Yeah. Thank Does that you. help? Thank you. Okay. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, you speak about um, celestial beings. Yes. And yes, I was yes. wondering if you could tell Tell me more about your experience and how you describe them. Are they male and female, or what they're made of? Or not? Often they're androgynous. They don't seem to be male or female, you know? And then sometimes you see um, golden radiant beings that are definitely female. They might be like 50, 60 feet high. And they have these little sort of striations that come off their skin, little sort of like golden filigree, little bits of like woven gold. Or, or woven lace and they might have a little line of gold and on that little line of gold is like lots and lots of tiny, tiny little leaves, you know, golden leaves or golden animals or plants or formulas, just things that come off their bodies, you know, that are just all part of the makeup of who they are. So that's one type of golden radiant being. Other radiant beings have got wings as they're very sort of angelic. Then there's other radiant beings in there that are definitely fighters. So they are celestial beings, but they're celestial beings of a military sort, you know? And then the animals, you know, are the half male, half, I mean, sorry, half animal, half deer, uh, half animal, half male, half horse, half female, and so on. So they are also, they're the, they're the beings that come out of the magical forests. And then there's other radiant beings in there that are not human at all. 
So they're more digital geometric forms that you can't really say is a human, although it's vaguely humanoid in the sense there might be a, a, a cube where the chest is and another cube where the head probably is. But then they usually have tentacles and, and, uh, and uh, appendages in a very beautiful that are sort of moving in slow motion and radiating out. And then there's the Camelot type beings where they look like you know, a sort of pre-Raphaelite painting, you know, women in long frocks with braids and that sort of stuff, long hair. So that's another form of radiant being that's in there. And have I left any out, Mr. Krebs? Well, probably lots. No? Pretty much, yeah. So that's essentially a sort of a synopsis of the few that we see. And then there are beings in there that do not have a body at all. They're just like a body of light and they're just a color. So there's beings in there that we speak to sometimes that we call purple and blue because that's just the colors we see. And then there are the beings that are connected to the water that I was telling you about, like the Minerva, goddess of, of the goddess of the healing waters. So again, there's just a lot. And then there's other beings that are tall boys that are like, I don't know, I'm just trying to think how tall they are. Probably to the top of that screen. That screen there, you know, and they have like a little dotted line around them, so they're sort of an entry into another world. Some of the tall boys are girls, and uh, we've seen those, the Etruscan, there's the Etruscan beings that are linked to the Minerva and to the water. They're massive, they're massive, and sometimes they look to us like beings made of stone. They're like stone statues, but they move. They're very interesting to look at, very majestic. So that's it, and then sometimes the celestial beings are tiny, really, really tiny. So that's it, that's the synopsis of it. Yes, thank you, please. My question is about helping the children across. Yeah, um, we don't know that much about it. We just know that at the end, the children walk across and we take them. Uh, so my, uh, I had an experience where I was sleeping and I woke up to the words, get ready. And I felt something come in my head. Didn't hurt, it felt kind of good. Yeah. So afterwards, I was trying to figure out, well, what changed? That was something, it was important, but I wasn't sure what it was. But I noticed that in the supermarket or wherever I was, little children, I could get their attention just by looking or directing my attention to yeah. them. So that may be your function later on, is to take a group of children across, you know? We call those people taxi drivers because they load the kids onto the bus, you know? And take them across. I'm sorry? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, is that the yeah. right track? Is that, am I off track? Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy, no. no. No, it's one of our functions. I mean, in the end, all these kids around the world have to be saved, they have to be taken out. So, you know, people are going to be assigned to do that work, you know? And uh, I know quite a few people in the club and so on that I know do that kind of work, you know? Look, often they're school teachers anyway, do you follow me? So they're surrounded by kids. But yeah, I know people that do that. Yeah, you know, I think just wait and see how it develops. It'll come, you know. Thank you. Yeah. Who else? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm doing uh, a little homework about uh, planning for my family, and I have two small children that I'm. They're so keenly curious about my being here, and my eight-year, almost eight-year-old, has been reading your books. <clears throat> Go ahead. And he gets it, and cool. uh, they are—they're uh, um, more wise than I am in so many more so many ways. It's it's humbling, yeah. and um, it seems like a lot of information for them. But they're—they are also very eager to take it in, and mm. I'm kind of wondering about how to handle that. 
And then the other part of that question is um, the title to the seminar was where to go, what to do. And we have a lovely place out in the country in Northern California that we're creating a homestead. And you just said, if you're an American, get out of America. And I'm thinking, okay, well, well we no, also have this, land in New Zealand. Do we go to New Zealand? What do we do? This legislature is Canadian, you know, and the western part of Canada is very safe, you know. So I was comparing, let's say, that to, I don't know, San Francisco or Stockton or someplace like that, you know. No, I mean, if you're out in the countryside of Northern California, I think you'll be fine, you know. I mean, essentially what you've got to do is stay inside that softness, you know, because if you're inside the softness, people aren't going to be able to see you anyway, you know. They're going to drive past the gate and they're not going to see the gate, do you follow me? So that's how you'll stay safe, you know. You won't have to do anything to stay safe other than stay inside your heart and not react to what's going on outside, do you follow me? So I think you'll be just fine there, you know. I mean, if it changes, it'll change, but we can't all like rush off to some desert island and sit and wait to die, can we? You know, like we're all gonna have to carry on day to day anyway, right? Well, the interesting uh, journey lately has been the children's uh, keen resonance to yeah. what's going on and what mommy's studying. And sometimes it's almost as if Maybe I should let them read the books and tell me what they think about it because they're... I mean, I think you can. I don't really know if it would blow them away and scare them and that sort of stuff, you know? So I don't know. Do you think it would scare the kids, Krebsy, to read these books if they were eight? They don't seem scared by it. They, they actually seem quite calm about I'm it. I'm sorry, what do you say, boy? He says they wouldn't be scared. He's got trillions of children. So he's a man to ask. <laughs> you got children coming out of yin yang, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah, just let them read it. You know, if they don't if they don't understand it all, it doesn't matter, you know. But surely, you know, uh, yeah, I'm sure the kids are the custodians of the later part of the journey, aren't they? Do you not feel that? I, I do as well, yeah. I've often felt that. And um I think also that's sort of very sweet childlike nature inside of us. It's very, very important to nurture that. It's so important because that will show us. You know, because where you are today may not be where you want to be in two years' time or three years' time. Do you follow me? I don't know that there is a definitive answer. I mean, the definitive answer is you have to get inside the safety of your heart, you know? And there are places like Western Canada that are very safe, you know? Western Ireland, Southwest Ireland is very safe. You know, the, the spots in France in the south and the Camargue that are very safe. Spots in Spain and so on, you know? And then there's other places like... I don't know, I imagine Johannesburg would be very, very dangerous, do you follow me? Um, so, anywhere where there's a calm and there's a sense of community would be what I would choose, you know? I mean, I know where all the anomalies are, but I can't see it on a sidewalk in a small village in Worcestershire, can I? You know, and think, hello, I'm waiting for the end, you know? Just because the archway's there, you know? I've got to live my life and go down a pub and work and teach and do and play and build and grow, you know? So it's almost like you can't just sit in the doorway, you see, you, you've got to do something in the meantime. Like, in your case, you've got to raise these kiddies, you know, because they're relying on you to keep them going, you know? So yeah, I think it'd be okay, just keep going inside. I'd listen carefully to what the, the children had to say, you know? Like what they have to teach you, you know? Because I'm sure they do have things to teach you, you know? Hi, Stewie. Uh, just a couple of questions. One carried on from the last lady. Um, I come from New Zealand, I live in New Zealand at the moment. Um, when the shit hits the fan, where's the best place to be? Well, the answer's always the same, you know. You have to be composed inside your heart, you know. It's not a geographic answer. 
It's a geographic answer in the sense that it's a dimension inside you. That's the safest place to be. So I would certainly wouldn't be in Auckland, but if you're out in the boonies somewhere, you know, Dunedin or something, you might be a lot safer than Auckland. Do you follow me? Yeah. But yeah, it's a place inside you. It's a place where you are resolved and at one and at peace with everything. And that's when you have that serenity around you, you cannot get hurt. Do you follow me? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're walking through a riot, you're just walking calmly. You know, I was giving that analogy of like the bomb goes off in the casino and you just keep walking serenely, you know, into the pub and order a beer. Do you follow me? Yep. You're walking in a different dimension to the dimension where the bomb went off. Yeah. Even though you're just in the same hallway, but you're in another world. So as you come deep inside your heart, you go inside another world. So when people look at you, they don't see you. They're just, you're there, but they don't see you. So it's not a matter of like, well, look, let's escape to like, I don't know, Rotorua or something, and then we'll be safe. It doesn't really matter where you are. It's a, it's a, it's a hidden place inside your own soul. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah, second That's question. the answer. That's the answer. Yeah. Can, I, can I do a second question? Of course, man, yeah. It, uh, members of the original Redeemers Club had a sort of a personal channel to get in touch and talk. Are you going to make that available or will there be an avenue to... A message board? Well, I suppose you called it a message board, yeah. Is well, there... to talk to each other? And you. No, I mean, if they talk to each other, it's disastrous. They lead each other the wrong way instantly. Yeah, I mean, that was a disaster. They, they're perpetually advising, because they all want to be advisors. So they'll advise you to go ask backwards inside out and you know, up the tubes. No, advice, no. Well, can they ask me? Yeah, can we, can we get a no, channel no, to No, no, I you? can't be bothered to answer your questions. <laughs> you know? No, the thing is this, is I can't answer thousands upon tens of thousands. When I had the Redeemers Club, I answered 8,500 questions, you know? But my whole life was that for two whole years, you know, three o'clock in the morning, 7 a.m., 9 a.m., 12.15, 3 in the afternoon, 7 in the evening, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, go to bed, up again to three, answer the questions, you know. So at the end of 8,500 questions, I decided I never want to answer any more questions. But you could join Mr. Um, Krebsuk's Hooded Sage, and he answers questions at 3 a.m. in the morning, 7 a.m., 11 a.m., 4 a.m. <laughs> you know? So he's the man that's doing the questions, but I don't do questions. No. I mean, I could do, but you can understand how, like, if you have, let's say, two or three hundred people in the package, you could wind up with two or three hundred questions every day, do you see? Mm. Yeah? So, you know, it's pretty much too many questions. You know, I, I just sort of overwhelm, overwhelmed with about 500 people here. Um, I thought it might have been a bit smaller sort of event. Oh, I'll ask him to leave. <laughs> I'll go and sit outside and wait. Do you think it's a bit of a fuss pot or what, you know? <laughs> Thanks, mate. It was entertaining. Stuart, my question involves a physical sensation that I've had. It's like a buzzer going off, and I can feel it, and it feels like a timer buzzer, and I can hear it, and it's in near my uh, left side of my heart, and I was wondering... On the left side of your car? Heart. heart. Oh, heart. Heart. <laughs> Sorry. Heart. And I was wondering if you could help me understand this. Thank you. All those buzzers and all the jarring sensations and the sort of... They're really, really common. And they are adjustments and energies coming through from another world. But we do not know definitively what they mean or why they're there. Can I ask a question about diet? Uh, um, yeah, I may not answer, but carry on. <laughs> we were talking about vegetarianism, and when we were in Ecuador, 
we were served fish, which is a living creature. Yes, yeah, some people are vegetarians. They're like fisherians, and they eat fish, yeah. and some people don't. And then, I mean, it's entirely up to you. Bottom line is, plants are living things too. Yes, yes. So that. you could just eat the paint off the wall if you want. <laughs> That's what I fear. Eggs Next and, question. Eggs and milk. You you talked a lot about finding jobs, making yourself useful. Yes, sorry, bro. Over the next couple of years, you've talked about making ourselves useful and serving humanity, and, yeah. and the majority of careers, jobs, things of that nature, and 95% of them are just administration, basically bullshit. So I'm kind of curious, what are some real things we can do to serve humanity and still sustain ourselves? I mean, you could be a teacher, you could be a healer, you could be a veterinarian, you could be a forester. You can teach people farming. You can open temples and heal them. You can, I mean, whatever your skills are is what you teach them, you know, or what you help them with. Um, you know, we have some administration people, but mostly the people that came through the club are all moving towards various forms of healing, or they're teachers, or they look after children, or they do animal husbandry, or a lot of that chop wood, carry water stuff is very useful, you know, in in the sort of cataclysmic, post-cataclysmic era, if you know how to make a bucket, you would become king. Do you follow me? Yeah. Because we need buckets, you know? So it's that kind of stuff. I know a lot of people that are out there studying that kind of stuff, like how to make a bucket. Because I personally would be fucked because I do not know how to make a bucket. <laughs> so I'd have to earn money and buy a bucket off you, you know? But yeah, I think just allow your feelings, bro, to take you where you think you should be going, you know? Thank you. So, like I said, I told you that story about this drug dealer who wound up with the shamans in Peru. Well, I'm sure when she first started her journey, she never thought she was going to give up this lucrative business and wind up sitting in the jungle in Peru. Do you follow me? So maybe that's where she's found her place, you know? So we don't know where our place is. Well, I know what I'm going to be doing, but I don't know necessarily what each of you are going to be doing, you know? Yeah. I wanted to know more about this stone, Stuart. You were speaking... The Sula stone was blessed in the waters of Avalon. And it was taken to this little altar where we saw 12 visions of the return Jesus, you know, and I was very intimately involved in the return Jesus story. And it was pulsed with the almond car pulse. So the stone is seriously, ferociously powerful, you know? I mean, I'd like to think it's the most powerful stone in the world because I can't think of another stone that's been, you know, treated three times in that way. Do you follow me? So it's truly celestial. Generally speaking, if you put the stone on anywhere on your body that hurts, it fixes it, you know? I one day had a bit of a cold and I had a swollen gland in my throat, you know? And I thought, I'm not going to go to Las Vegas with a swollen gland. And I just held the stone against the gland for, oh, four minutes, three minutes. That was it. Fixed it. So that's what we use the stone for. You can also put the stone in water and then drink the water. Um, and that's what we use the stone for, then we use the stone to meditate. But it is very, very celestial stone. It's like beyond... It's not just a crystal, do you follow me? It's, it's just, well, it is a tumbled crystal, but it's a tumbled crystal that has three programs in it, and three of the most powerful programs that we're familiar with. There may be programs that we know nothing about, you know? But for the programs that we're familiar with, um, there's the three of them are in the stone, you know? So that's what the Sula stone is all about. I remember um, in reading in the lessons how the key served as, I think you referred to it as a, um, a phone booth at one point. Yeah, we got rid of the keys because they became corrupted, you know, the old keys, you know. 
Does the stone work the same way? Yeah, the stone is like the upgrade, do you follow me? Because the keys were made of plastic and the stone actually is a stone, you know? And they're, uh, in terms of matrix, they're phone booths as well? Yeah, worse than a phone booth. <laughs> like they're way more than that, you know? They can open a doorway in reality for you, you know? Yeah, very, very strong, very strong. So, um, I'm from Belgium and you mentioned that uh, Belgium is like evil, so... Uh, Belgium? Yeah, do, do you have Are you any... from Belgium? Yeah. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> And um, um, I, so do, do you think uh, Brazil is, uh, is safe? No, Brazil is extremely dangerous, man. I wouldn't go to Brazil. Uh, I, I mean, the, the thing I was thinking, if, uh, if there is some mayhem in the, like in a city, I can go in the jungle. Maybe the place is safe, but Brazil is a really, really dangerous place and they're very dangerous people, you know? Belgium's got a weird energy, man, because of all the pedophiles and the Nazis that live there, you know? So I always try to avoid Belgium if I could possibly do so. You know, I try to cross Belgium with my eyes shut. Um, that's my tactic. And all the, all the neo-Nazis that we fought were all Belgians. So that's how we came, to, we came to try to avoid Belgium. But I'm sure there are places in Belgium that are very, very nice. Like, I think Ostend's quite nice for a start. But I'm not saying leave Belgium necessarily. But, um, I wouldn't, I don't know, Brazil. What do you feel about Brazil, bro? No, he shook his head. So he's the boss, man. If he says no, Brazil's out. Please don't take it personally about Belgium. It's just that we used to fight these neo-Nazis, you know. A lot of, there were a lot of battles against these particular guys, you know. And they were all from Belgium. But that doesn't mean that all the neo-Nazis in the world live in Belgium, you know. One or two live somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yes, hi. Um, when we were doing the water meditation, I saw something I'd seen in a, in a meditation before and I couldn't figure it out. Um, it's like a transparent column that spins and yeah that's light. very that's very very common you know oh, it could be part of the logo it could just be part of like a, a sort of a transfer point from one dimension to another but the vertical pillars and the celestial celestial pillars and the crystalline pillars and all of that okay. stuff we see that all the time common great thanks yeah. yes you mentioned that um, when you're centering the heart, you can walk and people won't see you. Yes. But I found that when I'm most centered, I may be walking down the street and people like smile at me and so I find that strange. That they're smiling at you? Well, <laughs> what I've, that when I'm centered, it's like people all of a sudden notice me going down the street and like tend to say hello, strangers, total strangers. So I've, my question is that uh, since you mentioned that when you're centered in your heart, you're supposed to go unnoticed. What I'm saying is that the safest place to be is mm -hmm. serene inside your heart, you know, because danger won't find you because it can't see you. Do you follow me? I don't know why. If, if you're walking down the street and people are smiling at you, that's lovely. I wouldn't complain, you know? But I'm talking about, let's say, bands of people in pickups, you know, riding around with guns, looking for carrots, you know? That's the kind of people you don't want to want, you don't want to find, you know? So if this world falls apart economically, you want to be centered inside your heart and control of yourself and serene, and then you won't come to any harm. Do you understand? Yeah. 
I have a question about at night when you're sleeping, or can it occur when you're sleeping? Lots of stuff occurs when you're sleeping, yes. And a lot of, a lot of it occurs in your dreams and so forth. Okay, you know? that seems to be what happens with me. I wake yeah. up in the morning sometimes, like I did the other night, with my leg with about six black and blue spots on it. Uh, yeah, you can get hit black attacking. and blue. Yeah, you can get attacked, you can get hit all of the above. So I've, I've learned to just say, get away, leave me alone. Is that... It, yeah, just blow love or push against them. And you do have to suffer a certain amount of... You don't come through scot-free, you know? You will get beaten up on the way periodically, you know? So, but right. you have to be a soldier and just be brave and take, it, take your lumps. So you do it rather than... I don't seem to get much when I meditate. It seems to occur more when I'm sleeping. When yeah, it, it will come in your meditations. It will come. I mean, you will start to see things, you know. It's just a matter of getting out of your mind and opening your heart. You know, that's the only process that we know for making it work. And the ayahuasca, of course. Can I ask one more quick one? Please. Sound in the ears. I have sound in... Uh, sound? Sound. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. If it's in both ears or if it's in one ear, but sometimes... Look, you can have sound in one ear, both ears. You can get a sound that pans back and forth, like goes zoom, zoom. You can hear the, whir the whirling at the back of your head that's about three or four inches off the base of your neck. You can hear the high-pitched whine. Uh, you can hear rumbling noises. You can hear celestial noises. Um, give me a few more, Krebsy. What else can I hear? Oh, the buzz that comes in from 135. All of that's normal. You're going to hear them. I'm listening to the whine right now, right, really loud. I can hardly hear myself, the whine so loud. It's going on all day and all night. We don't know why these energies, when they're moving in, create a tone inside our heads, but they do. It must be something to do with the differential of pressure inside the eardrum, you know? And like the pressure inside the brain and the pressure outside the brain, a lot of it could do with air pressure. We're not actually quite sure. We don't have a definitive... We don't actually know what it's caused from, no. In Grey Sky in the End of Days, I talk about the white shadow, which was shown to us by the beings. The black shadow is easy to understand, you know, that's the rapists and the predators and the liars and the fractal queens and, you know, all the stuff that goes on in the world, you know, the violence and the nastiness and so forth, torture. But the white shadow is very clever because it's hidden. And so the white shadow is like Mr. Nice Guy. And he's there, and he's frying the hamburgers, and he's serving beer, and he's making jokes. But the white, the Mr. Nice Guy almost always hides a very shadowy, very dark person. So he's a racist, he's a feminist, he's a sex addict, he's probably a dishonest businessman. You know, he's manipulative, he's cruel, but he's pretending to be nice. And the female version is like goody-goody two-shoes, and she's a perfect mother, and da-da-da-da. You know, and deep down she has all this hatred and nastiness and stuff going on with the neighbors. And she doesn't like humanity, and she's got her nose in the air. And so these are aspects of the white shadow where it looks like the person is absolutely squeaky clean, wonderful. But deep down they're disgusting, you know? 
And when you see a sort of Mr. Nice Guy guy, generally speaking, the, your best tactic is to run because they're spooky, you know, they're really spooky. But there are other forms of this Mr. Nice Guy thing, like for example, the Florence Nightingale type that's selflessly sort of tending to the wounds of the sick, you know, with a little lantern and look at me, aren't I pure, aren't I holy, aren't I sacrificial? You look at how I'm sacrificing myself for the kids, for the family, for humanity, for the community, for the church. So again, this is a game that she's playing, pretending to be a saint, okay? Other types of like white shadow things are like the police officer who's there, you know, with his moustache protecting society. In fact, he's whipping them off, he's dead bent, he's as crooked as anything, he's terrorizing people, he's like using his macho thing to, to manipulate his own power structure, you know? So he's pretending to be the protector, but in fact he's the tormentor, you know? The reluctant provider is another white shadow person. You know, he's there and he's working hard and he's providing for his family, but he fucking hates the job. He hates providing for the family and working to sort of feed those smelly kids really pisses him off, you know? So the reluctant provider is another one. And again, like all these white shadow traits are traits where people invent themselves as heroes. Do you follow me? Or like the spokesman of the gods, you know, the sort of channeler that's vectoring the Pleiadians and stuff like that. That is pure white shadow department you know they've been selected to bring a message to these proletariat humans who don't understand diddly squat you know so there's the channeler then there's the healer that's vectoring the energies of the gods and of course all healing is sexual healing there is no other type of healing you know but they like to sort of pretend it isn't you know so then they created like the gods of like sending the energy down their hands and stuff like that but it's a complete concoction because it all comes from the root chakra and it all comes from this connection to Mother Earth and to Gaia and that's what repairs people. So the magical healer, the would-be provider, the policeman, the Florence Wright Nightingale, the politician that's up there who's going to serve the community and right wrongs. And Because what do politicians do? They just pass fucking laws, you know? Like as if we ain't got 10 million old laws already, you know? So it's like, in theory, they're serving us and liberating us. And in practice, they're not getting rid of laws. They're creating new laws, new taxes, new impositions. New stuff for us to have to worry about that takes time to fill in, due diligence, blah, 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 homeland insecurity and all that crap, you know? So these are games. These are all games, you know? The lawyer that is going to stand on the side of the justice, you know? And all the lawyers will rot in hell because they're all crooks, you know? And they're liars and they bring false evidence. They manipulate facts, you know, if you pay them enough, they'll say anything in court on your behalf. But they're there on the side of justice, you know, the judges that are judging, you know, the bent judges on the podium, on the, on the bench dispensing justice on behalf of the country, God, King, country, United States of America, blah, diddy, bloody, blah. But again, all white shadowy things, they're all power trips. So any place where you find yourself being sucked into a power trip, or where you find yourself needing people's attention, or if you need acknowledgement, you know, you need to be acknowledged as a great whatever, veterinarian or whatever, again, you're going into these shadowy traits because we don't need to be acknowledged for anything, you know? We just walk silently amid the waste in the arms of the Tao. We can resonate huge, huge golden energies that nobody can see, but we don't have to be acknowledged for it, you know? You don't wander down the hallway and go, here's me new age fart, you know, please acknowledge me, you know? 
you can just blow the love to people and, you know, benevolence, turn a soft eye. So the white shadow is essentially always linked to our pomposities, to our games. You know, the psychic that has these extraordinary powers and, you know, it's all the same stuff. You know, the magical healer, the psychic, the Florence Nightingale, the police officer, the lawyer, the judge, ad infinitum, Miss Goody Goody Two Shoes, Mr. Nice Guy, all a pretense. All, you know, the new age, perfect, special, new age, crystal meditation, our farts don't smell department, all in the Clary Dad department. You know, Clary Dads, as you know from reading my books, are like when people take ayahuasca, sometimes they go to these celestial heavens and then they come back from this journey and they believe they're Jesus or they believe they've been selected by the gods to provide information for people or whatever, you know? So the shamans call it Clary Dad, which means clarity. And it's kind of a joke. It's a sort of in joke, you know, because it's exactly opposite of clarity because the person's completely confused because now they're wandering around pretending to be Jesus, you know? And... Um, there was this guy at one gig I was at and he made attack helicopters that fly around and shoot up indigenous villages, you know? And he'd been doing that for 10 years, building these attack helicopters. And he came back with the laws. So Moses, the lawgiver, is a, is a clary dad. It's a white shadow thing, you know? He came back with like Gaia's laws and he made us listen to these 10 laws that he wrote out. You know, and after about the fourth or fifth law, I told him to fucking shut up. I said, listen, you asshole, go back to making your helicopters. We don't need any more laws, you know, like get away from this law bullshit, you know? But again, you can see how it's fed, you know, it fed his importance to follow me. Like, here am I, and now I'm the lawgiver, you know, and here, listen up, you proletariat, here's another bunch of fucking laws. You know, the last thing we need is more laws. We need something to come along and cancel all the laws, you know, and nuke the IRS and Federal Reserve and set everybody free, you know, that's the kind of laws we want. So that's what the, the shadow is, the white shadow. So when you see yourself going through these pretenses, the pretense of your holiness, the pretense of your goodness, you see, it's fine for you to be a good person. It's fine for you to be a holy person, to be a very sacred person, as long as nobody knows. Do you see? As long as it's secret, you're just a radiance, it's your resonance, it's who you are, you know? It's your kindness for humanity as you look them in the eye and you project this benevolence towards them. But if they discover it, then you've fucked it up. You've definitely gone into the white shadow department if they know anything about it. Do you follow me? Out there, you can have all those powers and all that healing and all that information, you know? And when people ask you things, what do you say? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You, know? you don't have to feed people information. You don't have to be a purveyor of information. You don't have to give them anything, you know? I mean, I'm not saying if you want to write a book, write a book. But, you know, what I'm saying is like somebody sits here on the plane. You know, there's a guy talking to me about lucid dreamings. Oh, man, I've read Castaneda's and I want to do lucid dreamings. And I want to see these inner worlds and visit these dimensions. And I went, oh, yes, very nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, I, yes. I've heard of Castaneda, yes. I never said a word, you know? Like, just don't say anything, you know? Because you don't have to let the, you don't have to let the cat out of the bag, you know, unless you need the glory. So the minute you need the glory, you're deep inside your shadow, because why do you need the glory? Why do you need the attention? Why do you need the accolades? Why do you need the acknowledgement, you know? They're kind of the celestial beings that help us, that sometimes they fight with us the military beings sometimes they're radiant golden beings that teach sometimes they're just beings that are projecting you know light or tubes or pods to us well they don't come in and say look at me look at me look at me i'm the angel that did the pods you know the pods just arrive you don't know where they're coming from you don't there's no acknowledgement there's no system you know 
So that's what you're trying to arrive at, is you're trying to arrive at a beauty, at a resonance that requires no acknowledgement. <laughs> you know, if you're wise and you want to help people a little bit, feel free, but you're not there to fix the world and you're not there to answer their questions. And you're not there to be seen to be the wise woman or the medicine woman or the wise shaman or the this or the that, you know? You could just be nobody and keep quiet. Just keep quiet. Resonant, you know, resonate your love for humanity. Resonate your power, resonate your perception. And you can keep your eyes open and you see stuff in the hallway and you move to your left or you see people coming down the escalator and you wait and you, you know, let them pass. You just use your power to want to move through the world, you know? But you don't need any of those accolades. And if you want power, then it will definitely carry your way to perdition. You know, it'll take you down to the gates of hell, man, you know, where you will find Stewie Wild with his clipboard. And I'm there. Uh, <laughs> Naaman? Yeah. What? Adolf what? Yes. Yep. And um, I shall be waiting down there for you. Because that's my spot on his little stool. It's a bit like a bar stool like this, you know. I've got a clipboard and I tick him off as I come past, you know. Sometimes they irritate me because they're late. You know, I think, where the fuck is he? I've been waiting for months. Yeah. But let it go, you see. And then you become like, you really do become a superior person. Because that's a person that's enormously wise, that's got a fantastic resonance, that's got instant healing for everybody they walk past, but they don't have to say anything. Do you see? Different, isn't it? Do you understand where we're going? Yeah. So, and if you go off on an ayahuasca journey and you come back and believe you're Jesus, well, good luck to you, you know? If you are Jesus, then it's a very dad. And if you're not Jesus, it's a clary dad. Right? So, there you go. But, you know, you probably are Jesus. But there are a few Jesuses around because one of the jobs I had was to deliver Jesus back to the Christians. So, uh, every so often there is the odd person that comes back from the ayahuasca believing they're Jesus and they actually are Jesus. You know? So, things have slightly changed at the clary dad department recently. Anyway, I'm sorry? It must be what? No, they're not. I don't know any, I don't know any Mexican Jesuses. I know one American and one English and one or two others. Yeah, uh, women. One, one of them is a woman, you know. A woman Jesus. Hey, that's so cool, huh? I said to this priest at this chapel where the visions of Jesus appeared, where we take the Aguasula stones to be blessed, you know. I said to this pastor, you know, as he was a Presbyterian, I mean, an uh, Anglican pastor, pastor, I said, did you believe in the return of Jesus? And she said, yes. And I said, um, has it ever considered, have you ever considered that Jesus might be a woman? And she went, no, 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 it's not possible, it's not possible, she can't be a woman, it's not possible at all, no way. Uh, slammed the bookshop, boom, you know. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, look, um, I'd like to bring her to meet you at a later date. <laughs> Yeah. But I said, I've got to wait a couple of years, but I'll, I'll bring her. I'd like you to meet Jesus. You know, it is a woman, by the way, you know. She was funny, man. She was so uptight when I suggested. And then I met these rabbis on a plane, right? And um, there was one behind and two in front. So I was in this sort of Hebrew sandwich bumfuck, you know? And. Um, <laughs> I thought, fuck me on the horse I rode in on, you know, I've got two rabbis, one behind me, it was a business class, right, going down to Quito or Houston or someplace, one rabbi behind, two in front. I thought, fuck me, I'm a little dog too. Anyway, so I turned around to this rabbi and I said to him, I said, excuse me, sir, are you a rabbi? And he said, yes. I said, would you mind if I ask you a question? He said, no. So I'm leaning over the seat now, talking to this dude, right? And I said to him, you know, in the Torah, it says that your Messiah will walk through a wall and that's how you'll know that it's the Messiah, you know? And he said to him, well, he said, it's not actually in the Torah, but it's one of our legends. I said, what would happen if 
the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, was like a Gentile, not Jewish. And he went, what? I said, yeah, you know, like imagine if this, this Messiah walks through the fucking wall, bro, and he's not Jewish. And this guy went, fucking potty. The idea of the Jewish Messiah not being Jewish completely fried his head, you know? And he said, no, 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 it's not possible because the Messiah has to know all our rules. And I said, yeah, there's hundreds of them, isn't there? Like 600. He said, yeah, 634. I said, fucking hell, man, that's a lot of rules. He said, yeah, but the Gentiles only have seven rules. So I said, well, it's much better being a Gentile than a Jew, right? Because you've got 595 fucking rules less, you know? Anyway, so this guy would not accept the idea that their Messiah is not Jewish. But the quirky thing is, it's true. The Jewish Messiah is not Jewish. Funny, huh? Can you believe that? <laughs> I love the way this stuff's organized. <laughs> you know, we've got a woman's Jesus, a, woman Jesus um, a Buddhist redeemer that isn't the Buddhist, a Jewish redeemer that ain't Jewish, a Christian Jesus that ain't Christian. Perfect stuff. So much fun. Anyway, the point about the Clary Dads and the point about the white shadow and so on, you can read it in the book in, in depth and so on. It's essentially, you know, when you get into your pomposities and your games, then you're full of the white shadow. You know, the perfect mother, the dutiful husband, the protector, the advisor, you know, the sort of conciliary, you know, here you are, this important conciliary, blah, fucking blah. You know, and any time you observe performing these functions, if you're just performing them humbly in your own way, and assisting the community fairly anonymously, that's different, you know? But if you stood up there as the consigliere, forget it, you know, you've got to get out the picture quick, you know? If any of you have any questions, I'm here. Yes. I was looking at the honeycomb matrix. You, you saw it in a vision? No, no. I, I was looking at a piece of paper where okay, yeah, yeah. That, we, that we were going to um, learn about that and how uh, it's going to fall or how it's the control. The, honey, matrix. the matrix has already been broken. The reason why you can see visions is because the matrix got broke, you know? So it's already broken. Now, some of you will see it in your meditations, you know, as a honeycomb. But if you look at it and you breathe on it, it breaks a few little while later. Usually it's hexagonal. Sometimes it's diamond shapes and it looks green. And essentially the matrix is the systems of control that are over, over us politically, socially, and financially, you know? And then the other matrix of control are the sort of the beliefs that people have, you know? So, I don't know, if you're in India and you're Hindu, you've got to do Hindu things. And if you're... You know, I don't know, in Israel you've got to do Hebrew things and if you're Catholic, you've got to do Catholic things. And so essentially the matrix is the mechanism of control over our societies. But we broke that matrix and that's why people can see visions. And every time people see visions, it's more and more and more capitulating the forces that are trying to hold the net over us, you know? So there isn't really like a technique for breaking the matrix. All you've got to do is desire to leave. You know, if you see the matrix, in the middle, you'll see one hexagon that's darker than the others. And that's the one to go towards with the force of your will. Push to the, dark, push, push to the darkest one, you know? The one that's a slightly different color than all the other little hexagons. And you'll break through right there, and that's how we did it. But the first time, it took eight hours to get through the matrix, you know? It was hell. 
But then after that, the matrix got broken so many times, it's like a shred now, it really doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it exists for ordinary people in TikTok that are kind of going up and down the San Diego freeway. They've still got the matrix around them. But you, you know, you're not required to live inside the matrix or be anything to be a part of it. You can go to a transcendence, which is like some of you, or many of you would have seen that this weekend or you would have seen it previously. So you're not required to be imprisoned by the matrix anymore. We got rid of it. Well, we just made so many holes in it that anybody can get out, do you follow me? So, there are forces that clear the dark so that you can see the visions you're seeing, do you follow me? So your visions are a, a direct result of activity that's going on that you can't see. That's clear in the area so you can see what it is you see, you know? But like more and more and more of that now, it's so strong that there's no going back, you know? They're finished. And essentially the battle against the ghouls is over. But it's not over, you know? I mean, there's massive areas where the ghouls are still well in control, like Africa, let's say, you know? And massive tracts of Asia. But around us, in our society, the ghouls are finished, you know? They're dead around here, you know? So Armageddon was one, you know? It's been, you know, we pretty much rubbed out all the ghouls that there is to rub out in this neck of the woods, you know? Plus it's degrading all the other ghouls because when one ghoul or 10 ghouls or 100 ghouls or a million ghouls go down, it affects the stabilities of the other ones, you know? Like they lose power because the dark forces are essentially a collective. So they're all linked into each other, you know? So if a hundred million go down over here, it affects a hundred million over there. Yes, 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 sorry, yeah, what's your question, sir? I'd like to think I'd know when I'm gonna kick off, but let's say I kick off right today. Uh, what would be the best thing to do? I mean, I, I think when I you should say maybe- kick off, you mean Fight die? a little bit, yeah, pass on, die. You're gonna die? Let's just say I do. If you die, yeah. just head for the light, bruh. Just head for the light. That's it, man. So that's not going to be some bullshit, you know. If any bullshit's between you and the light, say, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. Fuck <laughs> off out of here. <laughs> You're yeah. not going to be there. I'm going to be passing on. All I'm going to see is a light, and that's going to be good just enough. Just go for the light, yeah. Worst right. way to say, I'm friends with Stewie Wild. That usually works as well. <laughs> <laughs> what about, should I do something behind me? You know, like, you know, do some kicking or something? Kick you some can turn off? and wave if you want. Yeah, you know, you can wave back at the earth plane and say, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> okay. Carry on without me. <laughs> okay, I feel good now. Right. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad you settled about it. <laughs> <laughs> who else, who else, who else, who else, who else? Yes, in the middle over there. While, I, while the I got the microphone, can yeah. I just ask you if I turn into an animal while I medita meditate? Um, it's fine because we morph into the panthers, I yeah. morph into the lion of Judah. Um, some morph into the white lion, sometimes I've morphed into the eagle and wound up with all these feathers. Yeah, I've, I grew um, feathers just before. Yeah, I've feathers, I've morphed into uh, kudu man, you know, the curly-haired deer. Um, yeah, it's okay, because we are inside their DNA and their DNA is inside us, mm -hmm. you know. Cool. Like I think the chimpanzees only got a couple of chromosomes that's different to us, you know. So we are the animals and they are us, you know, we're inside their soul and they're inside our soul. You know, once a, a lion jumped through the mirror into my chest, you know, shit, what was that fucking hell, man? What was that? I was just cleaning my teeth, you know? And, um, you know, yeah, so we are the animals and they're with us. And the more of those magical animals you have inside your soul, the safer you get, you know, because it's all to do with protection, you know? Your bravery is only as good as your protection. That's the truth of it, you know? Like, there's just protection, protection, protection all the way. So you know how to make the protection and build it for yourself. You know, lavender, softness, meditation, play the Gayatri Mantra twice a day on the YouTubes. You can play mine, you can play somebody else's. Um, prayers, you know, stuff, serenity, silence, goodwill. 
towards all people, you know, even the ones that are really fucking disgusting, goodwill, <laughs> and on you go, you know? That's it, that's the protection. That's how we build protection, enough to survive the wars that we went in, but you guys are never gonna be required to go into the Armageddon more force that we went into, you know? So you don't need a massive amounts of protection because you're not required to go down into these hell worlds, you know? But hey, the more protection you build, the more serenity, the more calm, the more sure you are. Because being serene and being sure of yourself, even when all the people around you are losing their heads, is the way to go. You know, always walk slow, talk slow, don't rush, don't panic, you know, be at one and at peace with yourself no matter what's going on, you know? We say like walk along the banks of the Tao, you know? In the eternity of your soul, and that is safety. That's where we'll all be safe, you know? Okay, who's next? Right here, Stu. Speak. I have a question about the stones that you're selling back there that I bought one. I'm not sure what it is and what it does and how to use it. The Aguasula stone is just a tumbled crystal, but it has been taken to Avalon. The Lake of Avalon is a real place, a sacred place, and it's a place that was very dear to us, and we visit it once a year. Um, and it's been washed in the waters of Avalon, which is linked to the Camelot legend, and it's been taken to a small church in Dorset, where we saw 12 visions of the returned Jesus, you know? And I went to, it's a tiny little stone church that would be about from the edge of Alan's recording desk to here, to here. That's how big the church is. It's about, I'd say, four yards or five yards by five yards. That's how big it is. It's 900 years old. And there's a tiny little platform in the church, you know, like a stone platform that's the altar. And we saw 12 visions of Jesus there, you know, and I saw Jesus there and I bowed and he walked forward and he gave me this lamb. But I could feel the lamb in my hands, you know. And I thought, whoa, what's this? And um, so I walked away with the lamb. And then I went back about two weeks, three weeks later, and he gave me a lamb again twice. So we saw these visions of Jesus there at this church. So we took the stones to that altar. We blessed them on the altar where the return Jesus was seen, you know. And we took them to, Tom took them to the Avalon Lake and washed them in the lake in the lake of Avalon and then we pulse them with the Amonkar pulse which is this eternal pulse that comes through from the celestial worlds it's like a golden light so it's akin to a sort of celestial orgasm you know these bolts of light that come from the feminine spirit so it's like the primal life force of the universe that gives birth to the stars and the animals and DNA and so forth so it's been treated in three ways so it's a very powerful stone you know and you put it on your body when it aches or you meditate with it or you can wash the stone carefully and you can place it in water, in a jug of water, and drink the water, you know? So essentially, it's a solidified legend from Camelot. It's the return Jesus, so it's the Christos energy, and it is this eternal Omicar pulse, all three things at once. So the stones, really, the stones are powerful, they really work. So that's it. I keep losing mine. Where's my stone? Where's my stone? And then I find it, and then where's my fucking stone? Oh, fuck. And I find it. Yes, who's next? Hi. Can you hear that? If you speak, we can, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious about the Omen Car uh, Pulse. Um, you, you talk about this orgasmic. Um, the Omen Car Pulse? Yeah. What would you like to know? Um, well, how do you know when it's that pulse and not just being a pervert? What's it got to do with pervert? I don't know. I'm, what I'm saying is, like, I don't know if it's a real pulse or if it's something that, like, just came out of, like, 
some kind of... Now, if you feel it, it's a real pulse. You know, usually it will pulse 200 times, like in 50 seconds. Boom, 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 boom. At the end of the 200th pulse, you will automatically orgasm, a spontaneous orgasm. There's no sex, there's no touching, there's no dirty thoughts, there's no Google on the pornography. It's just, a, it's just an orgasm. So these are spontaneous orgasms, which are essentially orgasms that are linked into the Divine Mother. So they're like the, the orgasmic activity or the celestial pulse. So the celestial pulses were before the female orgasm. Do you follow me? So the female orgasm is the 3D version of a celestial pulse. So the Ahmed Kar is a celestial pulse that's experienced here as an orgasm. Do you follow me? Yeah, it's nothing to do with perverts or anything like that. Because it's not sexual at all. I mean, it sort of sounds strange, but it's an orgasm that isn't sexual. It's certainly um, vested inside a very deep, very sacred sensuality of the feminine spirit, but it's nothing to do with sex, you know. It isn't, it isn't sexual of any kind at all, you know. Spontaneously, yes, spontaneously happens, yeah. And, and it happens all the time as well. It's not like it's a one-off and it happens, let's say, I don't know, coming out of church on Sunday nine weeks ago, you know? If you've got the pulse, it's pulsing all the time, you know? All the time. It may stop for a few hours or even a day, but it'll start up again. And essentially the pulse is building a grid, but we can't quite see the grid. But it's building a grid all over the world, you know? So it's essentially rewriting the matrix. But it's also destroying the ghouls, because when that pulse goes off, all the ghouls for miles around get rubbed out, you know? So it's like, you know, and it's like really powerful. And of course, it's enormously healing because when the ladies that have the pulse come up and let's say just stand next to you or hold you, you know, like around the waist or something, as the pulse comes through, it reverberates against your cells and, uh, you know, takes them backwards in time. It rejuvenates them, you know. So the pulse is the strongest far power we got. It's the strongest tool we have from the feminine spirit, you know, but the, the the people involved have to be very pure, you know, because if they're dark, then it's a dark pulse, but if they're very celestial, then it's a celestial pulse. Your question, sir, yeah. There's an article on the blog, um, Seeing the Morph in Germany, where uh, I think a student from yours from Germany was seeing the morph with a few of his friends, and he mentions uh, Palo Sato incense and praying to the beings to help him see the morph. Yes. Can you tell us about how we could... We're trying to remember the story. I think it was Stefan that wrote it or something like that. The Palo Santo, Santo incense just comes from South America and it's a piece of wood. It just means, you know, saintly or holy pole, you know, sacred pole. And we burn that at the ceremonies, at the ayahuasca ceremonies, you know. And then praying to the beings is like, you know, you, I told you before, when you pray to God, do not ask for anything, you know. Never ask, you know, please God fix this, fix that. Always pray for God's protection and well-being. You know, pray to the gods for their well-being, for their protection, for their greater glory, for, you know, generosity, you know, you're, you know, like, pray in gratitude rather than asking for things. Because you imagine if you go, all these motherfuckers are wanting something, and suddenly there's one dingbat that doesn't want anything, you know, you're going to listen to him, aren't you? You know, you're going to listen to the bloke that doesn't want anything. The people that don't want anything get everything in the end. You know, if you don't want anything, if you generally don't want it, you'll be given it. If you want it, the very fact that you want it makes it suspicious and you don't get it. So if you're going to pray to the Breens, bro, just pray for their well-being, pray for their power, pray for their progeny, pray for their consorts, pray for their glory, pray for their light, you know, don't ask for nothing and you will get everything, man. Trust me, it's a three-world technique going backwards, you know. It's like if somebody offers you the Holy Grail, 
refuse it. How's the first book? Although I say to myself to work that out, you know, don't accept anything ever. Here's the Holy Grail. Thank you very much. I'm not worthy of the Holy Grail. I'll give it to somebody else. And then you can have the Holy Grail if you refuse it, you know? Hey, Stuart. Uh, through reading your books, Tony yeah. Robbins and Deepak Chopra books all these years, I've come to realize that I am God or part of the God source. So with that realization, why would I have to take ayahuasca to reach those levels? Well, but I'm not saying you have to take ayahuasca, you know what I mean? It's not like the wagging finger. But the fact is that most humans are very depleted in DMT because of their lifestyle and the meat eating and the stress, and so they have difficulty seeing visions. So ayahuasca replenishes the DMT in your brain. So it's essentially a nutritional supplement. So that's why we recommend it for people, you know, that way you can see. So you might be a god, but if you're a fucking blind god, it doesn't help you, does it? <laughs> right? I, so, I just believe everything I need is already within me. Okay, well then, then you don't need to do ayahuasca, but if a lot of people are depleted in DMT and they just need the DMT, I must say, we are getting to the stage now where we know we don't need the ayahuasca anymore because we can all see pretty good without it. But I like taking it anyway because I like doing the ceremonies, you know? So I just enjoy, you know, facilitating the ceremonies. But basically, bro, the reason for the ayahuasca is to replace the DMT in your brain that's missing from lifestyle stuff. But then if you feel you don't need it, then don't do it. It's not compulsory, nothing's compulsory. Who's next, who's next? Yes, 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 yes. Hi, Stewie. Uh, yes. I've wondered for a while, when a lot of people depart life at the same time, for example, when the morph descends, yes. will they be trapped in the earth, uh, circling the earth, or will there be any escape from that, from being caught around the earth? I don't know how, know how close the hell walls are, but you know I've told you that when you put your arm out, halfway between your elbow and your wrist is where the aluna starts. So if you want to go to an aluna hell, you don't have to travel but a foot and a half to get there, do you follow me? Because it's right there. So how far they leave the influence of the earth plane, I don't know if they necessarily ever leave it. I mean, they're, 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 they collate as bands of energy like the sort of rings around Saturn. But I don't know that they would necessarily go very far, but I must say, geographically, those inner worlds don't deal with a geography, you know? Because they're all layered on top of each other. So, you know, I think you could have all the spirit worlds on the top of a dime, you know, and accommodate them all, you know? So exactly where do they all go? All the hells are down. And then some of the demonic stuff comes from up. You know, 17 up, north, northeast, about 17 degrees off the horizon. So, where do they all go? Well, they go to hell. But the thing about it is that the way the beings have designed it is, right, the beings are going to crush humanity, crush the ego by taking the money away, you know, and by taking people's mobility away. Then when everybody goes into this sort of head-banging, what the fuck's happened by money sort of seminar, right, then the beings are going to deliver the God force in big dollops, huge dollops, you know. So that's when you're going to have the, the apparitions in the sky, you know, these massive 6,000 foot high apparitions. And you can imagine people who don't really know diddly squat, sort of seeing an apparition 6,000 feet high on the side of the Santa Ana freeway, you know, like, fucking hell, man, you know, what's this, you know? So you can imagine, and they're gonna say it's the UFOs and da-da-da-da, I mean, they're gonna invent a million things and preachers are gonna get up there and say they know what it's all about, but they don't. 
Um, and the apparitions in the sky are there to create a belief in God again, to recreate a belief in God that's been lost in the modern era through television, you know, sort of the iPod generation, you know. And then um, that will allow a lot of humans to come back towards the light. Do you follow me? But those are the humans, uh, no offense, but you know, the humans that are like more simplistic, do you follow me? That let's say are just, you know, I don't know, like they're a farmer and they, you know, have a bicycle repair shop in Peru or something, you know. It's that sort of simple, the simple societies or the simple beliefs in God, you know. And then these saviors are going to rock up, all the different messiahs that I was talking about earlier on, you know. And they're going to do all this sort of stuff like walking on water and so forth and appearing on Oprah Winfrey. And, um, <laughs> and that again will allow people to believe that there is a transcendence, that there is a, a celestial. And then there will be a period of time when people will see the demonic materialized in front of their eyes. So when they open their eyes, the demonic's there, and when they close their eyes, the demonic's there. They can't escape the demonic, you know? And that, like, is crazy-making. Like, a few hours of that, and you're going completely nuts. So people have to see their own demonic nature, and they have to wake up to their cruelty. Do you see? Humans do not realize how extraordinarily cruel they are. But Gaia isn't happy with it, you know? But our cruelty is, like, extraordinary, you know? and our coldness and our nastiness. So humans have to wake up to their cruelty. And then eventually a transcendence will come, you know? It'll be, it will be allowed, but everybody's got to go through the end of time seminar, you know, as written, as the instructions are, you know? 20 minute break here, da 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 da, another lecture here. Krebsik does this bit, Stuart does that bit. Yes, is your hand up in the middle? Yeah, I'll come to you next, okay? But why don't you sit down so the people behind you can see? Thank you. Yeah, I'll come to you next, okay? Yeah, so it's a, it's a series of events that have been organized that is exactly like going to a seminar. And the first part of the seminar is take the money and the banks and the jobs and the security away from people, take away the overspending, the debt, the houses, the Porsches, the snowmobiles, and then let's move down to the next level, you know? Yes, at the back. Stuart, I'm curious if you speak to some uh, general concepts regarding geographic safety in times of mayhem. Yeah, we have sort of talked about it a bit. Like the west of Ireland is very safe. Hawaii? Um, probably safer than the mainland, yes. Uh, Switzerland is very safe. Any place that's remote is safe. The western part of Canada is extremely safe, you know? BC, British Columbia. So those are the areas that we recommend the most, you know? I should think the parts of Australia way out in the bush sort of past whoop-whoop somewhere, would be very safe as well, you know? Um, it's essentially remoteness. But again, what I've tried to explain to you is that you could be walking down, let's say, the streets of New York with an absolute riot going on. But if you have that softness in your feeling, you're going to know where to go and what to do. Now, all the Stewie Wild people that have been following over the years have sold their houses. They've got rid of their houses. They've got rid of their debts. They've got rid of all of their money, and they've converted to gold. And that was the, the formula that we offered people as, as the ultimate safety because the, the value of money is going to collapse, you know. I mean, the American dollar is going to be utterly worthless. So gold will hold its value, as Mr. Kramer was explaining to you last night, you know. So it's a softness and it's towards the remote areas and um, towards where there's purity. Essentially, look for purity and you'll be safe, you know. So you go to a place like Western Ireland, it's very, very pure, very safe. You know, you go to the Beera Peninsula, Kinsale, down that way, you know, Skibbereen, whatever. Down in the west of Ireland, Switzerland's very pure, Ireland's very pure. 
A side note I wanted to offer, if anyone wants to see a before and after picture of ayahuasca, there's two pictures of Sting as you walk through the hallway down. One's an early dark picture of Sting and one is Sting in the light. It might be curious to people. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I mean, I know he's done ayahuasca because it's in his autobiography, isn't it, you know? But yeah, he's a believer in ayahuasca, yes, sir. Yesterday you said something like when you put protection up... Really? It's the demons that are protecting you? So what's the stuff you're snuffing up your nose? It's stuff. It's stuff. It's made from tobacco, and you take it because you want to. And uh, the thing about, I was saying, was that people's darkness, to a certain extent, keeps them protected, because the dark, you are the dark. So, but as you go on this journey and you start to head towards the light, you have to traverse various bands of dark because the light is surrounded by two bands at least of darkness. So you have to imagine a sun with two, let's say, rings of Saturn around it that are utterly demonic. So the sun, the, the God force, the Christ consciousness is surrounded by the devil's forces. And it's like the Christ consciousness is in a fort and there's a whole ring of devils around close and then a further outer ring. For you to get into the Christ consciousness, into the light that's inside of you, you have got to traverse these dark areas, you know, what I call the desolate plain. And to traverse the desolate plain without getting yourself completely wiped out, you have got to process your shadow because there's no way you can survive the desolate plain without it, do you follow me? Because the attacks will kill you, you know, they'll literally kill you. So you have to have a certain amount of fortitude, but also you have to have a certain amount of purity in order to get through. So that is the only way of getting to the light. There's no shortcut to the light other than going through this darkness. Next, next, next. Hi, Stuart. Um, back here. Um, my question is about the white shadow. Isn't a lot of what you're describing about the white shadow sound rather dark to me? Um, well, I mean, the white shadow is dark, of course. Okay. Yeah, it's dark. I mean, it's only called the white shadow because people can't see it. You know, they think it's white and bright and clean and nice, but in fact, it's extremely bloody dark, okay. you know? Yeah. So it's the Mr. Nice Guy that's a predator, you know? That's easy to understand as a concept, you know? Right. And you can look at the white shadow people that are in your office, in the school, or your church, in your relatives, you know, and you'll be watching them out next week and you'll be thinking, whoa, I've seen this one before. You know, when they're sort of smarming you and they're pretending to be all nice and in fact they fucking hate you, you know? So, hey, you know, that's it. That's the white shadow, you know, pretending to be nice or pretending to be important. You know, let's not go back into that, but essentially it's very dark. The white shadow is dark. It's dark, you know? But it's sneaky because it doesn't look dark, you see. Right. So a lot of people are wandering around conning themselves that they're fine. I mean, the greatest shock that's going to happen to humans is when they see this demonic made manifest in front of their eyes. Because then all the self-righteousness and the excuses and all the stuff that they've been telling themselves is suddenly going to be right there, hovering right in front of their eyes, you know? And the beings took me once for about six hours through this process of watching the demonic with your eyes closed and watching it with your eyes open. So you're watching the demonic in front of you, the ghouls in front of your nose, and you think, Jesus Christ, and you close your eyes and they're still there. Like nothing's changed. It doesn't matter whether your eyes are open or eyes are shut, you can still see it. And I, I have to tell you, after four or five or six hours, it drives you completely crazy because you just do not know where to escape to, you know? So the beings are going to put humanity through this open-eye, closed-eye, demonic process so that they can see and so they begin to question Hey, why did I see that? Well, you saw it because you're utterly cruel. 
you know, you're cold and cruel and mean to the animals and you're self-obsessed and you waste and you have a disdain and blah, 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 you know? So it's quite a journey for people to see that. I mean, there will be no space in the mental institutions, you know? I mean, there'll be lines around the block, you know? A couple of tabs of Thorazine on the black market, you get a hundred bucks for them, you know? Hey, you want to score some Thorazine? Yeah, man, I'm going around the fucking bed. Yeah, have some. Yeah, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting time now. That's going to be the, best, the most interesting time. That's the time to sort of go quietly off somewhere to the jungle and wait, you know? See, humans have to go through this process, you know? You have to have a compassion for how much pain they're going to go through. But they have to, because otherwise, how are they going to change? They're not going to change. They're always going to be in this, in this disgusting cruelty, you know? And the cruelty is, well, I mean, I don't want to put too big a spin on it, but like it's obscene, you know, and you watch it in the hallways down here in this place and it's obscene, it is absolutely obscene. I mean, it, it smells, you know, it smells really bad. And it's their cruelty, it's very acrid, it smells like dry urine. Yeah, you know, like sort of sun-dried urine, like a sun-dried tomato, except it's pee. And uh, it smells of dry urine, their, their cruelty, their hatred, you know. And uh, people say, oh, well, we should give them, cut them some slack and be benevolent and forgive them all. Yeah, we forgive everybody. Why wouldn't we, you know? But we're not allowed to cut them any slack, you know, because they never cut anybody else any slack, you know? They never cut the animals any slack. They never cut their relatives any slack, their lovers, their husbands. They were fucking cruel to everybody all the time. So that's their karma, you know? So they have to go through that. And of course, there will be an end to everything. Everything ends in the end, you know? So there will be respite. It isn't like it'll go on for 10,000 years, it won't. But it certainly will go on for a few years, you know? By gold. Yes, sir, in the middle. One over there, yes. Sorry, I beg your pardon, sir, but while Hi. we get the mic... Can you get a mic to him here, uh, Mr. Lake? And I'll take this question in the meantime. Um, my question for you is that there, there are three things that I see, not in meditation, but in, in I guess, reality. And, and I guess I wanted your guidance on what they might be. Um, the three things are millions of specks of light just constantly moving and shifting, um, you know, usually generally outside, especially since I uh, joined the course. There's something I also see, which is it is like a shadow. And when I do see it or focus on it, it shifts and moves very quickly and then disappears. And I'm, I'm wondering what your opinion might be on, on what that is. Well, the speckles, we call the speckle ambience. And they're small pinprick manifestations of the celestial that are breaking through your darkness. Okay. The shadow figures, they're always there. You know, the Mephistos, they're essentially dark entities that are close. And do those dark entities, are they, you know, free-flowing in a sense? Or yeah. are they usually attached to people? No, they can be attached or they can be free. You know, they make you depressed, though. You know, they, they make you depressed or they make you angry. And what do you do to... Just blow love at them. Blow love, unless you have other techniques, you know? Okay. I mean, we would fight them, but I wouldn't get into that if I were you. I'd just blow love, you know? Offer them your divinity, offer to go back to that, you know? Offer, offer you my benevolence, offer you my divinity, offer you my courage, offer you my tenacity. Offer and would you, you see, would you say that all pains and aches that you might feel in your body is related to ghouls and things like that? Or? I cannot definitively say that's the case because I'm not a medical person, but a lot of the pain that people suffer that seems to have no particular medical 
raison d'etre comes from the ghouls because I've watched ghouls firing at me and then I could feel the pain in, let's say, in the muscles of my shoulder, you know? So I've watched that like uh, 200 times, let's say, I'm guessing. But they could, yeah, the ghouls will fire pain at you. However, whether or not there's not other medical reasons why, let's say, your knee hurts because the kneecap's grinding on the bone or something, you know, that's another form of pain that maybe has a medical reason for it. Do you follow me? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Sorry, yes, you're in the middle, sir. Yeah, I, lost, I lost track of you for a minute there. Hi. Hi. Um, could you give some uh, practical in, um, advice how to deal with uh, demonic um, people? Is it dangerous to buy a pizza from somebody like that? Or? We would try not to, yes. <laughs> and uh, also some advice, I mean, how to deal with them. The thing is, if you look at a person and you ask yourself, is this person demonic or not? The very fact you're asking means yes. Do you follow me? Because if you're picking it up, they're definitely, you know, so we try to do our best. Obviously, as you're walking through, you can't necessarily always choose the waitress or the barman or the bus conductor that's going to, you know, check your ticket. We try to stay away from the demonic, you know, so when we see a person in the hallway walking towards us and they are, I mean, have you seen them walking around? Have you, since I showed you this stuff on the wall? I mean, they're nuts, aren't they? They're fucking nuts, right? So when you see that, we make a point of crossing to the other side of the hallway or stopping and, you know, hiding behind a planter for a minute until they passed. <laughs> You know, we don't tackle the demonic unless we have to, you know. And then if it's friends, family, relatives, I mean, the most dangerous thing is lovers. You know, if your lover's demonic, then they're infesting you all the time, you know. And then you can get extremely sick, you know, and, and develop, you know, terminal diseases. But as long as your lover's not demonic, then you're much safer than if you're better off. Like most of the people in the club are celibate, you know, they don't have relationships because it's a way to stay safe, you know? So we're pretty much all celibate. But if you have a lover or a partner, then you better be careful they're not demonic, otherwise that is really is infested you because that is like an injection of the demonic vibe, you know? And of course, if you're lying next to them at night, their codes are infiltrating your logo box all night. So you're uh, petit peu fouquet, you know, really. So you want to get out of that relationship if they're demonic. And then the demonic people you meet in the street, we just try to stay away from them. So like in Vancouver, where I've been a little while now because my son lives there, there's a lot of schizophrenics in the street and a lot of street people that are like completely missing a few marbles, you know? So I have a compassion for them and I try to give them the odd buck or two or whatever. There's one I see all the time called Travis and I give him 20 bucks when I see him. But you kind of don't want to take you don't want to be close to all that energy. You've got to try to move away, you know? Because in the end, you have got to allow humanity their evolution. Remember, I've told you that, you know? You can be there for them and benevolent and kind and all that, but you can't be this paramedic rescue mission because you'll get your ass killed, you know? And you could do it, but I mean, you know, the demonic's going to slap you around, you know? So I suggest you don't, you know? So, okay. uh, w w would you advise not to go to a birthday party of, of a demonic cousin, for example? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, no, I would not go to a birthday party of a demonic cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I have another question. On Friday, uh, you uh, told us the story how you escaped the tax bill. Yeah, I just uh, fucked off and left, man, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, was the bill you were supposed to pay. What? You were sup supposed to pay that yeah. amount, right? Yeah. And uh, on, the other, on the other hand, you say you have to pay off your debt and be fair. No, no, I'm talking about personal debts, you know, stuff your, your brothers, your sisters and so forth. I mean, I don't believe in government, you know. I mean, tax is theft, you know. Have you read Ayn Rand? You know, I mean, that's different. That doesn't count, man, you know. 
That, I mean, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a debt. It's just bandits trying to take your money, you know? So it's like a highwayman. You don't owe him money just because he's got a pistol to your head, you know? No, that's a different thing. I'm talking about personal obligations that, you know, are commercial obligations, like pay your credit cards and that sort of stuff. So, as far as tax is concerned, you just fuck them over as much as you can. So you, I, I'm doing, I mean, you've got to stay legal. You've got to stay legal, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to be legal and you have to do things in a proper way. But no, tax, you know, tax isn't anything to do with debt. The thing is, if you travel, you don't owe taxes. So you legally do not owe taxes to anybody if you don't live in a country, you know? So that's how I minimize my tax liability, by not living anywhere. But I don't want to live anywhere because I can't find any place I want to stay long enough, you know? So I stay for 10 days, 12 days, 15 days, and I go. Um, been doing that since 1993. So, and hey, if you've got a family and you want to live in Laguna Beach, then you're going to have to pay the IRS, man. There's no way around it. And you should, you know, hire lawyers and accountants and stay within the law. I'm not suggesting people break the law. But anybody that's really fed up with taxes, airport. You know? <laughs> Fuck off, leave. And don't come back, man, you know? Like, sometimes traveling is way cheaper than paying taxes. It depends how much you earn, you know? But if you're a highly paid person, I don't know, like a highly paid computer programmer or whatever you do, you know, creative filmmaker, da 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 da, it is cheaper to travel than to pay taxes. You know, so you might as well travel, it's more fun than filling in forms and paying taxes. Okay, yes, over here. And um, with, with the fluent stuff, um, do, do you know, I mean, what kind of herb uh, is like interesting to take, like cat's, cat's claw or, or zinc? What to take for the flu? Yeah, for, for, oh, for the sorry, flu. Oh, sorry, I'm not a doctor. I haven't got a fucking clue what to take for the flu, man. Try Merlot. That's what I take. <laughs> sorry, bro. That's not my kind of question. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do about it. Follow-up question? Yeah, carry on. Okay, and also why, why exactly uh, Gaia is like, uh, uh, interested to save a few humans? Well, I, I think Gaia's interest in saving the humans is to allow the evolution of humanity to continue. So it's a compassion or a benevolence towards us, you know? But essentially, Gaia wants to rub out the humans and leave the planet to the animals, you know? And start all over again. So I don't think she's particularly interested in looking after the humans at all, you know? I never got that impression, you know? Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, um, I have a hard oh. time with loss, and I was wondering, is this like your last seminar, and are you feeling lost, and how are you dealing with that? Are you saying laws or lost, L-O-S-T? Lost, L-O-S-S. -S. Uh, do I sense, feel a sense of loss? Yeah, like oh, no. this is your last seminar. No, I'm not going anywhere. No, I have to stop because it's going to be too dangerous to do them. Do you follow me? So, like, you guys are very benevolent and warm and very kind and very loyal for the most part, but generally speaking, it'll be too dangerous to do gigs for huge amounts of people because what happens is after the gigs ends, all your lunar selves come after me. And they follow me home, you know? <laughs> and so, like, there'll be 500 people coming down the lunar tubes at me, you know? It's not necessarily attacks or anger. Sometimes it's just people want help or they want to be saved or they want you to carry them someplace, you know? So I'm just not allowed to do them anymore, you know, until 2012. And then after that, some sort of transition will have taken place. And then I am coming back to do some gigs. And I think they're going to be very big gigs as well, not little gigs like this, you know. They're going to be like, you know, 50,000, 75,000, that kind of thing, you know. What's your question, bro? Yeah. I uh, sell real estate for a living. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Go ahead. 
My question is, knowing things are changing, you know, and people really, they don't want to change. I'm not going to give the gold spiel to every one of my clients or anything like that. But how do you do that when you know people are going into debt because of the service you offer? Or Look, bro, if they want to buy a house and they want to go into debt, you know, let them do what they want to do. You're not there to police it for them. Do you follow me? Yeah. But I would definitely protect your own situation because once the real estate completely collapses, you don't want to be hold past, you know, holding the parcel. Do you follow me? Right. So if you're flipping properties and stuff, I'd flip them and get out of it so you're holding nothing, you know? Right. Yeah, and then if they want to get a big house and get a million-dollar mortgage, it's their life, it's their karma, it's what they want to do. Do you follow me? Yeah. Maybe they need to do that. I don't know. You know, I wouldn't worry about it. Just do what you got to do, you know? Okay, thanks. Yeah, it feels clean like that, you know? Sure. And, uh, yes... Um, I wanted to know what all is required to process our darkness aside from that process we did earlier. Was that enough? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> no processing your darkness is like a 10-year job, you know? So I mean, you, you have to go into these meditative states and just keep looking, you know, just keep looking, keep saying to the spirits, you know, the benevolent spirits that are around you, show me, show me, show me, you know? And bit by bit, they do show you, you know, and you do the forgiveness prayer on the carpet, you know, 30 days in a row. And it shows you, it shows you stuff, you know, people you've hurt, people you forgot, stuff you've done that you forgot you did it, you know. So, yeah, you keep going, you keep going. And then there are times when it'll feel like you're through and you think, that's it, I've done it, I've done it. And it comes back. Yeah, it comes back. So it's ongoing. I'm sorry? So it's ongoing then? It's ongoing. It never doesn't stop, you know. I'm sure even the Hindu gods are going through their shadow process, you know. I don't think it ever ends, you know, because there's always this amount of darkness from inside and reincarnational darkness and stuff you inherited from your parents, from your tribe, I don't know, you know, stuff in the DNA. I mean, it's very vast, the dark, you know, it's huge. So, yeah, but we're trying, we're trying. We're just humbly moving towards the light as best we can. So we don't seek to be perfect. You know, we're not seeking perfection. We're just seeking gradual improvement. It's different, isn't it? You know, gradual improvement is saying, hey, I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward, albeit like a snail, but I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward. Okay, one or two more, and that's it. Yes. At the song of the innocence that you wrote the words for, Flip, flop, about, that one? about the pole shift yeah. and the two suns in the sky, yeah. was that an artistic fantasy, or was that based on a vision that you had? It was based on a vision I had. Um, do you still think that 2012 uh, has no, any significance? It. No, none at all. You know, I don't think it has any significance whatsoever. You know, it's so, an arbitrary number. 2012 is an arbitrary figure based on a Mayan calendar, which they date back to 3000 and something BC, August the 15th, blah blah blah, 3014 BC, and they had five long counts, and they end in December the 21st, 2012. It could possibly be that they just couldn't be fucking bothered to keep counting. I mean, it's arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary when the count started and when it ends, you know. And we are in an end time, but the world will not end on December the 21st, 2012. You've got better chance of winning the state lotto three times in a row than, than the world ending on that day, you know. So I wouldn't get into the hype, you know. I mean, people are going to have, like, end-of-the-world parties and there's going to be hysteria and people are going to go fucking nuts and other people are going to throw themselves out of tall buildings. But it's all, you know, do you remember the, the Y2K thingy? Yeah, and everybody was stocking up on dry food and the January the 1st came and obviously nothing happened, right? It's going to be like a Y2K, you know? Thank you very much.
Well, thank you all and Godspeed. And uh, we'll see you in the dog and duck, no doubt. God bless you. And a huge thank you to Stuart for his great work throughout the years. His memory will live on. And indeed, it was a huge pleasure having him on the show in November of last year. And in subsequent conversations, I found him to be an extremely warm, open and insightful person and somebody who was a great pleasure to be around. For more information on his works, check out stuartwild.com. And a big thank you to everybody who continues to donate. We're currently doing a little bit of fundraising for Alchemy Radio to try and ensure that we, uh, we increase or at least remain at our current volume of shows. The costs increase as the show's popularity does. So uh, thank you to everybody who has donated so far. Until the next episode, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Thank you for tuning to Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio.
Nature.